Welcome to this APTA podcast. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to take a look at what's going on in advocacy for the profession, as well as the latest developments in the regulatory arena, particularly involving the US Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS. Of course, there's a lot out there to talk about, and always is. So to help us get some focus, we've asked a panel of APTA staff experts to provide their takes on what we should be paying attention to. The stuff we might have missed, what's, go, what's getting a lot of attention at APTA right now, and what to keep an eye on in the future. So let's get started. Joining me today are Kara Gaynor, an attorney and APTA Director of Regulatory Affairs. David Scala, Senior Congressional Affairs Specialist for APTA, and Laura Keevil, APTA's Grassroots and Political Affairs Specialist. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Great. Yeah. Good. Glad to be with you. All right, so we're going to get started here. And, um, and thanks for being here and taking the time. I, I wanted to uh, start by looking back over the past month or so of resources and articles and news and other content that we've published here at APTA.org and ask each of you what's your uh, pared down reading list for members. Uh, a few items that you think members really, really shouldn't miss that have uh, been published in the past few weeks. So Laura, I'll start with you. Great, thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to share some of the great things that we're doing here at APTA. And with the new Congress, of course, it's been a really busy time for us. So there's a lot going on and we really wanna share some of that with you and some ways that you can get involved in our advocacy work. One thing that we published not too long ago is our uh, APTA 2021-2022 public policy priorities. And uh, this document is really a roadmap of what we're going to be focusing on in our advocacy work in the, uh, the next Congress ahead, so for the next two years. This document is really the foundation of, um, of what we do and what we want to focus on with the profession and, and where we see our work going. And there was input by um, many different stakeholders and different voices in the physical therapy community to put this together and make sure that we are focusing on what um, would be best for the profession. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And I also recommend checking out, um, we just introduced, or Congress just introduced a uh, bill regarding locum tenens. So uh, it was introduced by Congressman Bill Arrakis from Florida and Congressman Tonko from New York. And um, this bill is really important. Currently, only PTs in rural and underserved areas are allowed to arrange for another qualified physical therapist um, to treat patients when there's a temporary absence. So it could be due to something like an illness or vacation, uh, continuing education, et cetera. So this bill would um, expand that and allow all PTs to, um, to participate in locum tenens and to better support patient access to care. So it's a big deal on our patient action center. We have a, an action alert that everyone can, can uh, send letters to Congress on this issue and, and really get some momentum going with this. But we're really excited that that was introduced a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and my, my memory of that is, is that there's already some pretty good data on the use of locum tenens, even in the limited way that, it that it's been used so far among PTs in those rural and underserved areas. So there's like sort of a good foundation for an argument for expanding it, I would think. Absolutely, and especially during the COVID situation, it's, you know, when PTs have to take time or different things going on in this current world state that we're in, it's great to have that flexibility 
And um, yeah, according to uh, data, I think it was published in 2018 from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which Kara uh, will talk about coming up here, we found that there was about 2,400 Medicare beneficiaries who were able to access medically necessary physical therapy services from 219 physical therapists through locum tenens or under the current law. So there's definitely a need to and a desire to expand that. So yeah. clearly the program's working. Right, right. David, what do you got for us? I, I think uh, Laura touched on it, but those public um, policy priorities uh, really are essential to what we do in government affairs and advocacy for APTA. Uh, this is, I, I often tell um, Capitol Hill that this is our roadmap for what we, you know, this is what we stand for as an organization and what we think would be helpful in public policy. And when, when you have a defining document like that, it really helps lead the discussions that we're having. And, and so breaking it down to, you know, recovery from COVID and reducing pain and some of the big things that the Choose PT program, some of the big things that we do here at APTA are reflected in these public policies. And in this way, we're able to say, you know, see members of Congress and their staff, this is what we stand for. This is what we're for. Um, and how can we partner with you to make those things happen? So I, I would take a look at it. It's, it's outlined um, in a bunch of different bullet points so you can see exactly the things that we are for and exactly the types of things we wish that the administration and Congress do. Um, we do this every two years when there's a new uh, session of Congress and, and potentially a new administration. And this way it can be updated and added. And, and this year we put a lot of, of COVID-19 pandemic uh, information in there in order to reflect the changing values of, of APTA and, and how physical therapy has changed so much during this public health emergency. Yeah, and it's, it's um, a really nice lens through which um, not only members can see, can connect the dots between what the association is doing in terms of advocacy, but they also get a glimpse at the kind of messaging you're delivering to um, legislators and staff, right? I mean, this is right. this is kind of designed for them to to be able to understand where you're coming from, right? Yeah, exactly. So this is this document is really written with the intent of the administration and congressional staff in mind. So it's going to have language and it's going to have things that they are intimately understand. And so being able to communicate that to the administration and to Congress from our organization is truly our first step to build those relationships. We have built relationships over years here at Government Affairs and in the administration and in Congress. And these types of documents help reinforce where we are and where we're going. And those are the types of um, fundamental steps that help conversation as, well, what kind of legislation does that translate into? Um, and then I, you know, the Government Affairs staff and I'm, when I'm in that meeting with a member of Congress, that's how we connect those dots. So it's really fundamental again, to what we do. And, and we love being able to, to redo it every year and reevaluate where the profession is every two years. Yeah, yeah, it is good. And it's a, it's a really, like you say, it's a really clear, um, easy read. Uh, points are made very, very clearly. So that's great. Yeah, um, take a look. Yeah. Uh, so Kara, what are your recommendations? Sure, thanks, Troy. Uh, as you and I have discussed in another podcast, 
HHS has issued new regulations regarding the term information blocking. And these new information blocking regulations actually take effect on April 5th, 2021. So just around the corner. And these new rules are really designed to make electronic health information available to patients and providers and other legitimate requesters as soon as possible following a request for such electronic health information in uh, as few extra steps as possible. Um, and so information blocking uh, for those listeners who aren't aware is a practice by a healthcare provider, including physical therapy providers, a health IT developer of certified health IT or health information network or health information exchange that is likely to interfere with access exchange or use of electronic health information. And so I bring all of that up because I did want to share that just recently, APTA released a new practice advisory on information blocking. And it really provides some recommendations for practice owners and organization administrators, staff PTs and PTAs, as well as health IT developers regarding how to help ensure compliance with information blocking, what you need to know, what you need to be considering, the definitions, the exceptions to information blocking, and other details, and actually also offers some scenarios that we came up with that apply to different settings um, and different issues, uh, all related to information blocking in HIPAA. Uh, and so it really helps to the reader to better understand what information blocking is or isn't. And we have started to get some questions regarding information blocking rules, which as I said, they take effect in just a couple of weeks. So we are encouraging everyone, if you have questions about information blocking, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at advocacy at apta.org. I've already started to get some questions. So I'm encouraging everyone, please do not hesitate to submit your questions. And in addition to the practice advisory on information blocking, we also have webinars, a podcast, and a lot of other resources and articles to help you understand what information blocking is. And then I just also wanted to mention that we do have a guide to help outpatient PT providers understand when to apply the CQ modifier, which as listeners should know, is required to be appended to outpatient Medicare claims to indicate when a physical therapy service is furnished in whole or in part by a physical therapist assistant. And I bring this up because the modifier was required or is required to be appended as of January 1st, 2020. And ABTA had released this guide late 2019, leading up to January 1, 2020. We did webinars. We put out other information around application of the CQ modifier. And as a whole, I would say that the therapy industry understands how and when to append the CQ modifier. Now, just recently, CMS did release some billing examples to indicate when to apply the CQ modifier or the CO modifier for services furnished by OTAs. However, we did identify some concerns with that guidance. So we did slightly update our modifier guide uh, to reflect some of the guidance that CMS shared, but as a whole, we're encouraging everyone not to look at the CMS guidance yet because we're actually working with the agency to try to revise that guidance so that it better aligns with what we believe the policy actually is regarding when to apply that CQ modifier. 
So we hope that CMS will be releasing new or updated guidance either via their website or via the 2022 fee schedule proposed rule later this summer. So please stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, do know that we uh, made minor revisions to our CQ modifier guide and you can find that on our website. And, and just to make it clear, the the uh, the info blocking resources you talked about in the and the CQ and uh, the modifier stuff, th these are two different issues, two different separate things. I wanted to to, to touch on the modifier thing because it's if if people have been following the whole evolution of this topic, there's been quite a bit of back and forth between APTA and CMS regarding CMS putting out a lot of um, sort of sort of sort of uh, putting out a lot of uh, information that then had to go back, we had to go back and ask more questions about, get some more refinement on. So this is sort of a continuation of that. And that's all part of sort of our ongoing advocacy that we've been doing around this whole modifier and the PTA differential, right? Correct. We've actually been advocating in relation to this CQ modifier payment differential policy since Congress included it in the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018 in February of 2018. And there's been a lot of back and forth with CMS working with them to try to come up with a definition of in whole or in part, uh, coming up with uh, guidance on when to apply the CQ modifier, what constitutes services furnished in part. So there has been many meetings, much written correspondence, many comment letters all related to this one issue and the advocacy continues because as we know, there is a differential on the horizon beginning in 2022. And so we're continuing to communicate with CMS as well as with Congress regarding whether there may be any flexibilities in implementation of that payment differential on January 1, 2022. Yeah, and there's a whole there's a whole other podcast that could be done on the history of that and 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 their definitions and all the linguistic wrangling that's been going on with that. One other quick question: um, I know in the podcast that we talked about with uh, with info blocking, um, one of the things that I think um, uh, uh, people hear about is sort of the um, this rule is coming. There will be um, there will be as yet defined sort of. Um, I don't want to say penalties, but there will be there will be uh, consequences for not abiding by it and things like that for providers. But I think the other half of it that sometimes gets overlooked are the opportunities for providers that this info blocking rule provides. And I wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I really just would want to emphasize that the information blocking rules are really designed to improve the sharing of electronic health information with patients and between organizations. So this is an opportunity for when physical therapy providers are seeking records from another healthcare provider about their patient. In previous years, it might've been really difficult to try to compel the sharing of that information. But now you have the information blocking rules to support you. You can say, I believe that you have this electronic health information. I'm requesting it. And depending on the information you're requesting, they may be required to share that information with you. There is, I will just quickly say that between April 5th, 2020, and October 5th, 2022, there's a limited set of electronic health information that you're required to provide in response to this request. But then on October 6th, 2020, 2022, and later, uh, you are essentially required to share 
all of the records that you have in relation to that patient that's elect that you hold electronically. So you now have information blocking to support you when you request that information. And that can be extremely helpful in helping you to deliver the highest quality of care possible. Right, right. Great. Well, thanks, everyone. And, you know, just as a reminder, all of these resources uh, that Laura and David and Kara have mentioned, they're all available on APTA.org. And um, also, don't forget that every Wednesday we send out an all-member email that collects a week's worth of that content, uh, as well as other stuff like member perspectives and the latest stuff from PTJ, our, our research journal, upcoming events, and, and just about a little, little bit of everything uh, every week to you uh, in email. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now, but hang on. When we come back, we'll be talking about an issue you need to be tuned into right now. April is Financial Literacy Month, and APTA is committed to supporting the physical therapy community with tools to make strong financial management decisions and to manage student debt. APTA members have access to financial education resources and student loan refinancing information. Visit apta.org slash financial solutions to learn more. And now let's return to the show. Okay, so you've made your recommendations for a few topics we've shared at APTA over the past few weeks, but we've got some even more recent news that we want to dive into, right, David? Yeah, it's extremely exciting. The um, Expanded Telehealth Access Act uh, was introduced on March 23rd, and we um, could not be more excited over here in government affairs at APTA. This is our flagship telehealth bill that specifically adds PTs and their assistants, OTs and their assistants, speech language pathologists and audiologists on the list of providers under Medicare. Uh, so this would be a permanent expansion of the temporary status that PTs have now under the public health emergency. So this is extremely exciting. Uh, um, Congresswoman uh, Mickey Sherrill from New Jersey and Congressman David McKinley from West Virginia introduced it uh, along with uh, 15 other bipartisan co-sponsors. Uh, and so now, as soon as it's been introduced, our job is going to be advocating across the House of Representatives for this bill to add more co-sponsors of members who are saying, yes, I will sign my name onto this. And if it goes to the floor for a vote, I will be voting for it. Uh, so we're going to keep adding that uh, that traction, uh, which is just so exciting to have a bill that specifically adds PTs and expands this temporary status that we have right now. I think when we've been talking with members of Congress about telehealth, which has been obviously a big issue over the last year, um, especially when the public health emergency added therapy as part of the, the waiver all the members of Congress I speak to, all the all the congressional staff, they're all for telehealth. And you would think, okay, so this should be done. It, it happens very, you know, if everyone agrees, we should all go through with this. But unfortunately, um, in Congress, the devils are the devil is always in the details. Um, and so everyone is generally for it. And we, uh, the problem is, where does the line uh, get drawn on on what gets included and what doesn't? And so. We're, why we're so excited about this bill is it specifically has that language of, of adding into the statute that PTs would be part of that list. Um, and, you know, as far as the politics of, of what's going on with Congress and telehealth right now, 
again, as I said, most members are for it. A lot of our members who uh, have had physical therapy themselves are generally always positive about our issues because uh, they, they know them, they've experienced them. And now some of them are actually experiencing it uh, via telehealth as well. And we've had amazing comments from some of these members saying, now I get to do my PT when I'm in Washington, DC, and it's helping my travel time. And it's, it means that I'm seeing my physical therapist more, which as we all know, are all positive outcomes for that patient's success and for uh, positive outcomes on their, on their condition. Uh, so we do, we're starting to see the traction that members of Congress and their staff are seeing that, that this is something that, that they believe is gonna be done. Um, but how is going to always be the question? And so that's where, where we're uh, really taking the, uh, the torch there and trying to illuminate what PTs do, what our profession has been doing over the last year when it comes to uh, checking falls prevention and doing audio or audio only or video uh, check-ins at home for what their exercise programs have been like uh, for doing um, a variety of, of things that can only be done virtually and not replicated well in the clinic. So we're starting to, we're starting to share these things with, um, with Congress and, and advocate that we get added permanently. Yeah, I will say, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Troy. I was going to say, and, and there's a, there's a growing body of research that's supporting all this too. It's coming out all the time because now there's the opportunity to pursue it because PTs are allowed to do it right now, you know? Exactly. And, and, and just recently, uh, in early March, MedPAC, uh, which is the advisory commission for, for Medicare um, payment, they even sent out a, a report recently that says telehealth in its current state of expansion should continue for at least another year or two just for the data collection alone. So if that's even where that's an organization that has is really worried about telefraud and if even them are saying that this is a good idea so that we can get the data, then that's at least a place where we should start. And so if they're saying that's another year or two, there's a strong statement to be said that we have the data to, to back up. We have the patient stories to back up that this is working. Um, Let's share it so that Congress can make an informed decision and, and add us permanently. Yeah, and, and to get it over the goal line, Laura, what do we what do we got to do? There's so much that we can do, and we're really excited to get everyone's input and and getting people to take action and sending letters to their members of Congress. So right now on our Public Patient Action Center, we have a live action alert for anyone to take action, and it takes about two minutes to send a letter to Congress. All you have to do is put in your address and other contact information and just hit send and it's off to your member of Congress. And we also have some social media uh, tweets that you can tweet um, when you do this uh, on our Patient Action Center and our Legislative Action Center for those who are APTA members. But it's so important to send Capitol Hill your letters of support because every voice matters and and uh, getting your patients involved is really important too, of getting them to send their letters and to share their stories of how telehealth has impacted their life and their care is wonderful too. But uh, if Congress doesn't know how this impacts the physical therapy community, it's hard for them to really see what this bill would do. 
And that also brings me to, uh, we also have a key contact program where ABTA members form and build relationships with their members of Congress. And uh, we would love to have key contacts meet with their members of Congress and their staff contacts to talk about telehealth and, and share those stories on how it's been working for them, especially during the pandemic and how it can further um, help their practice in the future. So there's so many ways for people to get involved and just spreading the word. Once you take action, get your friends to do it too. It only takes two minutes. I know I always get my mom to send letters whenever we do these action alerts. So uh, you should get your mom to send a letter too. But on, mom. <laughs> yeah, well, and uh, the other thing I wanted to, to stress was that we're, we're, we're sending people right now to the patient action center, but don't let that stop you if you're a PT or a PTA or something like that. It's just a really convenient pathway to get to get it done. And, and, and it's open to everybody, not just members, to, to, to patients, to, to non-members, to just general supporters. And it is super, super easy to, to, to get the whole job done. I mean, when you say it just takes a couple minutes, it really does just take a couple minutes. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I wanna jump in on, on this because uh, it's so important to send those stories to Capitol Hill because uh, members of Congress and their staff love to be able to share stories of what their constituent has, has said. It, it's one of their strongest arguments for why they want to add an amendment or why they want to change uh, one of the, the laws is because they're showing that, you know, I'm serving my constituent and this is their voice on it. And it's, you all have been working so hard during this pandemic and have that experience of what telehealth has been like. And you know that those patients have sent you those thank you notes saying how wonderful this has been. Use that story to be able to tell uh, Congress why we, sh you know, that the profession should be added permanently to telehealth because uh, that's gonna be the strongest uh, voice we're there to be able to provide context and statistics and the data and what's the long-term impact of this. Uh, but that personal story goes a long way. Yeah, definitely. So Kara, why, why has this been, why is CMS, why did CMS do this in the first place? And you know, what, why weren't, why weren't PTs and PTAs included to begin with? Uh, why did it take this special 1135 waiver to make it all a reality? Well, great question. Uh, this is because CMS simply does not have the statutory authority outside of this public health emergency to recognize physical therapy providers as eligible telehealth providers under Medicare. And it took Congress passing the CARES Act, allowing CMS to implement additional flexibilities under the telehealth statute if they so chose to do so and in fact, CMS did choose to do so uh, in large part due to our persistent advocacy that CMS, uh, after Congress passed the CARES Act, we then spent the next month urging CMS to recognize PTs, PTAs, and facility-based therapy providers as eligible to furnish and build telehealth under Medicare. And as you may recall, CMS originally recognized just PTs and PTAs in private practice. And so it took another month of advocacy for CMS to then say, okay, we can also recognize facility-based therapy providers as eligible telehealth providers. But it's just really important to recognize that there is this limitation on CMS's authority and Congress really only granted them this 
additional authority during this time of the public health emergency. And so as long as the public health emergency continues, CMS can continue these telehealth flexibilities. But once the public health emergency is declared over, either by the HHS secretary or by the president, then that flexibility will end. But we have heard various HHS representatives say that they expect that they will continue the public health emergency through the end of this year, 2021. Yeah, I believe there was a letter written to governors a while back to that effect or something like that that got circulated. And exactly. you know, this other this other thing, um, the, the thing you brought up about CMS's um, constraints through, through law uh, bubbles up in a lot of different issues that well, I'm sure we'll cover at other times. Either they're, either they're very definite constraints by law or they're perceived constraints by law that that uh, that we have to talk to them about sometimes and get them to reconsider. So, I mean, that's a topic for another time, I, I, I guess. Um, the bottom line here, though, is to stay tuned and get active. Um, as Laura said, um, we make it really, really easy to make your voice heard on this important legislation. And it really does only take minutes to do. And as David says, your stories are extremely important. They're extremely valuable uh, to, to the people making these decisions and the people talking to the people making these decisions. So, so please uh, share your stories on this. Um, and remember that we offer this, this uh, service to non-members, patients, supporters. So don't forget to spread the word, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your uncle, tell everybody. To, to, to go ahead and participate in this. Okay, so we're gonna wrap this, this podcast up and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get your takes on what we should be keeping an eye on in the future, in the coming weeks. The issues you believe are coming down the pike and shouldn't escape our attention. And we'll just kind of do this quick, kind of round robin. So just give me one or two issues to watch out for and why. Okay, everybody ready? All right, let's start with Kara this time. Okay, I'm going to say two things. One, as I already mentioned, everyone needs to keep their eye on information blocking and other rules that are being proposed by the government, all designed to promote patient access to their electronic health information. And as I mentioned earlier, the new information blocking rules take effect on April 5th, 2021. And I would strongly encourage everyone to review the resources that we've developed thus far, and just know that we'll be putting out additional information as more guidance from the government is released. Second, I just want to put on your radar that there are a number of proposed rules that will be issued by CMS over the coming months. And these are great opportunities to weigh in, lend your voice, as David talked about, and Laura, lending your voice to this effort and weighing in and, and responding to these proposed rules sharing your stories, sharing your perspective on whether these proposed policies are beneficial or how they may harm your ability to continue to deliver care to patients. Because it is your voice and your story that the federal agencies are really relying upon when they develop these rules. And it has a significant impact in determining whether the agency ends up finalizing something or not. So just wanted to put that on your radar. Uh, public comments are a great way to influence change. Great. David, what you got? All right. Two things. Telehealth, telehealth, telehealth. And then uh, watch telehealth. It's going to, it's going to, there's a lot of traction. Um, and then also uh, 
at the beginning of, uh, well, right at the end of last year, we were doing uh, dealing a lot with the projected Medicare fee schedule cut of 9%, uh, which I'm, sh I'm sure uh, everyone at this point is aware of. And through advocacy of, of PTs across the country and APTA, that was uh, reduced to um, about a 3% for this year. Um, and so that, according to the, the schedule, will happen again this um, at the end of this year. And so we're going to be continuing to fight those cuts. Um, and we will continue to work with the large coalition that we help lead of different provider groups who are affected by those cuts. Um, so, so that will be coming up this year as well. Great. And Laura, what's on your radar? Oh my gosh, with the new Congress, I could go on for a long time, but I have two things for you. I echo David, Medicare cuts. We have to be ever vigilant with those. And last year with our Fight the Cut campaign that David just mentioned, you know, so many of you answered the call to send letters to CMS, to meet with members of Congress, to send letters to Congress. And those made a real difference and a real impact on, on uh, cutting that, cutting the cut. So continue to look out for opportunities to advocate on this topic. And, and that brings me to my next point. For those of you who are APTA members, I highly encourage you to join our APTA Advocacy Network. It's on our website. You can sign up for it and you'll get our exclusive ad advocacy emails when there's important bills or information or updates that we want you to have in different ways to take action. So um, I highly suggest signing up for that and, and staying on top of that and being able to answer the call um, when we need you. And we appreciate you raising your voice and just know that your efforts really do make a difference and every voice counts. Yeah, they really do. And and uh, as, as, as you can hear, there's a lot going on um, and we're doing lots to help you keep up. So in addition to the weekly blast that I mentioned, we offer uh, a podcast as Kara mentioned, we have uh, APTA live events uh, from time to time, webinars, other resources, um, the advocacy network, the things that you can sign up for all to help you stay informed. Uh, and if you want to tune into all the activity going on in payment relative to physical therapy, including many of our advocacy efforts, go ahead and sign up for our Friday Focus monthly collection of payment related articles and resources. That's delivered uh, right to your inbox on the fourth Friday of every month and it's all for free. Just search for email preferences in the search bar at APTA.org and sign up. It's really pretty easy. So thanks, Laura, David, and Kara. Some really, really great information today. A lot to do, but a lot to look forward to as well. Uh, it's, it's been uh, uh, really informative. As a final reminder, be sure to visit APTA.org where you'll find resources on all of the topics we talked about here today. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting APTA.org. Dot org slash podcasts. I'm Troy Elliott and thanks for listening.